Blog Talk Radio. Well, it's a long way to Richmond, rolling north on 95. With a redhead riding shotgun and a pistol by my side. Disappointing ending for this modern day. 
starting this campaign, you'll see a lot of posters and yard signs. But if we could sit down with you, here's what we would say. Richmond Raceway is America's premier short track. On September 21st, our plan is to create lasting, breathtaking memories at our Federated Auto Parts 400 NASCAR playoff race under the lights. And we want your support. Get your tickets today at richmondraceway.com or call 866-455-RACE. We're Richmond Raceway and we approve this message. This September, you have a choice to make. Not just between two races at Richmond Raceway or what driver to root for, but a choice to be all in. On September 20th and 21st, Richmond Raceway will host the Go Bowling 250 and the Federated Auto Parts 400 playoff races. Be part of something bigger than yourself. Be all in, Richmond. Get your tickets today at richmondraceway.com or call 866-455-RACE. We're Richmond Raceway and we approve this message. I'm Matt DiBenedetto, driver of the number 95 Procore Toyota Camry, and you're listening to The Pit Stop with Tim Despain. From Dega Nation, I'm Tim Despain, alongside of SpeedwayDigest.com. It's Mr. Stephen Wilson. He's right outside of Richmond Raceway up here in the Commonwealth. Stephen, how you doing tonight, brother? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing good. Hot. Hot and dry. Ain't got no rain. I know y'all got a bunch of rain off that other hurricane that come up through there. We haven't had no rain, Stephen, since we got back from Darlington. So you know how long that's been. That's been, what, three weeks? We hadn't had none. Mike, you can you can walk on my gra- I can walk on my grass, and a lot of people know that that I dip snuff, and that grass is hard. Can you spit on me one time? I mean, that's how dry it is down here, bro. Yeah, yeah. We it's been a it's starting to turn a little chilly up here. We rained a little bit earlier today, so um, yeah, I got I guess we're turning a little bit over up this way. Well, that's good. At least y'all got some cool weather and stuff. We've been in the 90s for I don't know how long, 96, 97, heat index, 102, 103, stuff like that. But anyway, let everybody know the number to call is 215-383-3681. Coming up here shortly, we've got uh, our good friend, Mr. Rick Houston. Uh, him and Steve Wade started this Grand National Scene uh, NASCAR paper years ago, and uh, I guess all the internet and all that stuff sort of got everything down, but... Uh, they brought it back for Darlington Racing. We got we got Rick coming on. Also, Rick's big into the Apollo 18 stuff there with NASA, and I'm going to talk to him a, a little bit about that. And he said uh, he would he would like to stay on, Stephen, as long as we could have him. And I told him, you know, 15, 20 minutes, and he said, beggars can't be choosers. I said, Rick, you stay on as long as you want to, brother. So we can talk about stuff. But I'll, I definitely want you to, to, to get in there with him and talk about the Grand National Series. This is a paper, Stephen, that uh, – I probably grew up. I never had a chance to actually get it, cause, but I actually seen it everywhere. But uh, 
This Grand National scene newspaper has a lot of history there with Rick Houston and Steve Wade, doesn't it, bro? Um, I'm a little too young to remember the first iteration of it. Um, however, I, I do remember Cup scene and Winston Cup scene, which preceded Grand National scene. So, um, yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and go into a conversation too much about the Grand National scene just because of that. I don't I'm not gonna try and pretend I know a whole lot about uh you know that that it's a little it's a little older than I am. Well, let's just put it like that. So, uh, um, but yes, I do remember the others, and those have kind of formulated how NASCAR was covered back not just outside of newspapers in the day, but how people that were nearby, people that their local newspapers didn't have a weekly section on what was going on in NASCAR, uh, could, you know, just uh, subscribe to this thing and get a world of NASCAR at their home in their mailbox every week. And they would know what's going on in the world of NASCAR. They know what was coming up. And, you know, this this kind of all, you know, uh, uh, was the way that things were done back then. And, uh, you know, this, this was the newspaper for NASCAR. And, you know, this thing kind of moved over to the Winston Cup scene and to the Cup scene. And, you know, eventually it just phased itself out with the advent of the Internet. And uh, the the rise of uh, blogging, social media, and other mediums that now cover NASCAR, well, really just any sport or any event these days, um, on a twenty four seven basis, we we consume more uh, we consume more information faster than we ever have, and it kind of put these kind of the you know the grand national scene and things like that out of business in doing so and Stephen, i know you and i both we uh we picked this up a few extra copies there in the media center there at uh Darlington raceway i'm pretty sure carries off in the bunch up there and dennis they wouldn't they wouldn't mind but uh probably didn't need to say that out there on there but Stephen, uh we had some breaking news come out. Let's go over and talk about this breaking news before we got Rick Houston come on. We got we had breaking news come out of NASCAR Day and RCRC. Stephen Daniel McFadden from NBC Sports posted on their website this afternoon about one thirty Eastern time that Richard Childress Racing announced that the number eight Chevrolet in 2020, the team announced today that Daniel Hemrick will not be in that car. And you and I, we've texted a little bit of back and forth today. The media stuff is all tight-lipped. There's not really nothing coming out of this, but I'm pretty sure you and I will agree on the on the same stage. This is probably going to open up a cup ride for Tyler Reddick. Am I correct, Stephen? Yes, I think that Tyler Reddick, that this, you know, they, there have been um, some, I guess, rumors, speculations, whatnot of Rich Childress Racing going to a three-car operation in 2020. 
And as everybody knows, kind of, you know, funding related. And some people thought that maybe Ty Dillon would be out of the 13 and they put Tolerotic there. And, you know, that all kinds of theories and rumors have started on, you know, you know, once everybody jumped on the Christopher Bell train, where's he going? Well, then everybody started asking, well, where's Tyler Wright going to go? So, um, you know, for Hamrick, he's out. He's out in 2020. He exercised his option to leave at the end of the season. Where he goes, um, I'm not even sure. Um, there's not a whole lot open at this point. Uh, there might be a front, uh, front row motorsports position open over there for Reagan leaving and really there's not a whole lot much else out there um I think they've had some good runs they've had some bad luck he's young in his cup career but I think unfortunately when you look back across his his trucks and Xfinity he never went to victory lane and I think that's just a big thing where you look at a driver and it's just not purely talent driven and you know him being able to make it to the end of the race and him putting on top 10s and top 10s and I mean top 10s and top 15s and whatever the case may be but you know, eventually these these sponsors that are putting money out there they want you to go to victory lane and um I'm not going to speculate on to what, if that was one of the reasons why he may be out but you know, they're, you, you know, we're so corporate driven and so money driven into the fact that these corporations, that's what they're looking for. And you have to perform. Otherwise, you got to step up away and let somebody who is performing get in the car. And, um, you know, Tyler Reddick is already 20. It was the 2018 uh, uh, champion. He's the 2019 regular champion, series season champion in, in the Xfinity Series. And he's running for his second back-to-back Xfinity Series championship there with with now RCR, so yeah, I I, I do think that there is um uh, you know there is um some you know there there's some people probably looking at at that and say well this kid is going to Victory Lane, he has some sponsor backing to get on the Cup cars maybe this Cup car some of these sponsors were you know Will for Hendrick and I mean Hemrick. And wanted him to stay in the car, but maybe there was others that were saying, "Look, we, we you know, we're paying big dollars, and we uh, we want we want to be in victory lane. We 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 want to go out there, and we want to be on television. We want a victory lane. We want to be talked about like others are. And uh, you know, you got a driver that may be ready, and let's just, you know, let's what, what what can we do about this? So, you know, these are all speculations, and you know, things that probably conversations that may or may not have had, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's just really on the fact of, you know, we're so corporate driven and so sponsor driven in the sport that performance is everything. I would agree, Stephen. And uh, real, real, real short here before we bring Rick Houston on, uh, I did speak with Daniel Hamrick at Kentucky Speedway and uh, he does want to come on our show. He told me to get with Jay Pennell. That's his PR guy. So we, uh, I'm going to try to get uh, Daniel maybe on next Tuesday, and we'll maybe get some of all this aired out if he's able to, you know, because a lot of these big-time drivers, their uh, their schedules are hard to to really work around. But, Stephen, let's bring on our good friend, Eric Grand National, saying they brought it back at Dawson Raceway. Mr. Rick Houston into the pit stop with Tim Despain and Stephen Wilson. 
ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Rick Houston, how you doing tonight, brother? I am doing great. How about you guys? Oh, we're doing awesome. Rick, thanks again for coming on the show. I had uh I had text Russell Branham the other day, you know, my good friend here at Talladega, which is my home my home track. I had I had text Russell. I said, Look, we got we got Rick Houston coming on our show. He said, I got a <laughs> chance to talk to him He said, That is a good guy. Y'all will have a great show. But again, Rick, thank you very much for coming on, brother. Well, I appreciate you having me. All right, and Rick, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand you over to Stephen, and I know uh, you said that you can stay as long as you want to. And the message I got from you earlier, and uh, if we go past fifteen twenty minutes, that's fine. As long as you want to stay, we'll talk. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna Stephen Wilson speedwaydigest.com have you first and talk about this this Grand National Scene newspaper. He said he was he was too young to remember it, but I remember, and it was really awesome. I've got my copy laying right here beside my computer. I hadn't even opened it up because I want to save it. I want to put it in like a shadow box or something like that. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna let, let Stephen have you, Rick. And uh, also, a lot of our listeners know, don't know the deal that you have with NASA with the Apollo 18 deal there. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that if that's okay with you. So I'm gonna hand you over, Steve Wilson, SpeedwayDigest.com. Rick, thanks for coming on, bro. All right, thank you. <laughs> Rick, I appreciate you taking time to come on, but yeah, as, as Tim says, I, I I don't remember the Grand National scene. I was uh, you know, I wasn't around in those days, so uh, you know, I I picked up more towards the the end of the Winston Cup scene and NASCAR scene. So I want to just go back to the beginning of it all. What you know, as 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 uh, you know, as as America was at that time starting to transition over into uh, uh, more NASCAR coverage, but the NASCAR coverage was really just weekly on the broadcast of uh, whoever the particular uh, uh, telecast was that week. So, in between, a lot of these a lot of these fans, as Winston started to come in in the next couple of years, and uh, you know the Xfinity series and others ha- had started to grow at that time. Um, how imperative was it for for just not Grand National, but Winston Cup and NASCAR scene to be that bridge um, before we got into this 24-hour news cycle with blogging and radio and uh, um, several networks running um, two or three or four different commentary shows on NASCAR covering covering the covering the the, the NASCAR racing weekly. Well, you know, once upon a time, uh, there wasn't. Uh, wall-to-wall coverage, as you said. Uh, so into the void stepped uh, Grand National Scene in April of 1977, and for 32 years it was the go-to news source for what was going on uh, in the NASCAR community. So, you know, it, it's kind of cool when people, you know, uh, tweet uh, us at the scene ball uh, on Twitter and they say that they used to uh, just wait by their mailboxes every Wednesday and Thursday uh, for their scenes to to see what was going on in the world of NASCAR, you know. And in those pages, you know, not only did we report on race coverage, 
uh, we also reported, uh, we also did uh, feature news, uh, feature stories that kind of allowed, you know, race fans and, and the world at large to kind of get to know some of the competitors, uh, the drivers and the crew chiefs and the crew members. And, you know, it, it was just, like I said, it was just the go-to news source uh, at a time when there was a void of that kind of thing. Uh, there was there was no other publication uh, during that time frame that covered the sport as in-depth as what we did. So, you know, I've got all 32 years. I've got every newspaper uh, from those 32 years. So, it really is kind of a, a, a of an interesting deep dive into history when I open up a copy and kind of dive in and and remember the good old days. You guys over over the the span of this, uh, uh, many of the people that we've not only come to know today, but many people that went on to have careers covering this sport and other sports and. Uh, various other publications, some, you know, take Bob Prockers, for example, or, um, I mean, we could go through the whole list, but I'm just going to pick Bob Prockers out for the, for the moment. Um, how, how, when you, when you see what he's doing today, um, how, how much do you see in his reporting today that, you saw in his writing there at at the scene? Well, you know, I, I never worked with Bob directly. It's actually <laughs> um, when I left scene, uh, I went to work for NASCAR as the PR person for what was then the Bush series, and Bob actually took my place. Uh, so they, they hired him when I left. So I, I never worked with him directly, but I think what you see uh, Bob doing now uh, is certainly what he did uh, back then. You know, he's always been known as a, you know, a hardcore journalist. And, and you know, if there is a throwback uh, to uh, what what reporters used to be, I, I think Bob would probably be uh, the textbook uh, example of that. Uh, because he he likes to get the news and he likes to report on the news, so that's that's kind of his forte. So many other publications, not and not just seen, but other publications. We we've, we've seen a downturn, even the Charlotte Observer and other traditional papers across the country that that covered NASCAR uh, or racing in general has scaled back or cut ties totally. And, you know, there's almost virtually no coverage, just as kind of how you guys came in to the scene, no pun intended, um, <laughs> filling, filling the void. Um, and today we've, we've, we've kind of changed that over to social media and blogging and a lot of independent journalism that covers NASCAR these days and not necessarily large corporations or um, companies and journalism staff that, that, that have the money um, or not just the money, but the, the wherewithal to, to continue covering NASCAR on the scale that it is today. So 
for you, what do you see as today, as the media today? How, how do you see this as filling the void for those, the Grand National Scene or the Charlotte Observer or any numerous other publications that at one time would cover NASCAR on a weekly basis? How do, how do you see that, that, that the, the media today, um, how do you see the landscape out there? Well, first of all, today uh, it's a 24-7, uh, uh, 365 news cycle. Uh, when I was at Winston Cup scene, uh, our deadline was uh, Monday afternoons. And, you know, depending on what the story is, we could we could hold uh, space, you know, obviously, and, and maybe get to the printer uh, and, and, and maybe put the bed, put the paper to bed a little bit later. But uh once once that paper was put to bed uh sometime late uh monday afternoon maybe early monday evening uh that was our deadline and we were you know we could kind of take a take a breath and and you know kind of get geared up for the following weekend and kind of plan out what we were going to chase what stories we were going to chase uh and, and that kind of thing and if there was a breaking news story uh we we had time to chase it and, and today that that option just isn't available uh, you you have to you you have to be tied to your phone uh, to to be able to tweet something out or send something out on social media so you know that that's kind of where uh, the the landscape has changed certainly it's it's more immediate uh, I don't know that it's as in-depth uh, as what we were able to to dig up at, at scene uh, and you know, and to to me, uh, obviously, it, having having one deadline a week uh, was less pressure. Uh, but you you kind of turn that coin over, you, you turn it over to the flip side. Uh, you you had more pressure to get the the details of a story. You you had to make sure that you had the story lock, stock, and barrel. And you know, not necessarily uh, be so concerned uh, with with tweeting it out or, or getting at getting it out immediately. You you had that uh, chance to kind of uh, you, you had the leeway of of kind of digging into the story a little more deeper than I, I think what they do today. Uh, and you know, with with so many people covering the sport now, uh, you know, social on social media. Uh, there, there are a lot of voices. You know, there are a lot of voices. You know, in the NASCAR media landscape now, uh, and at one time, uh, we, you know, at scene were kind of, we were kind of the voice. You know, we we were kind of the go-to news source because you know, so everybody kind of looked to us to to break that news. And there were certainly, you know, daily newspapers that covered the sport. Uh, you know, I, I can remember, gosh, there was a time when there were probably 10 or 12 uh, daily newspapers that sent NASCAR reporters to basically every race. Uh, but when when it came time for a, a trusted NASCAR news source, we, we were it. Uh, and, and now you, you have the Bob Pocrises, you have, you know, certainly Jeff Gluck, uh, and Kelly Crandall and Matt Weaver and, and a handful of others, uh, 
but you know there there are a lot of different voices today. So, you know that that's kind of where I see the the media landscape uh, having changed a little bit. Do do you kind of see the way that it's now covered in you know two hundred plus characters sometimes on social media as not necessarily being able to tell the whole story, and we've lost some of the storytelling of the drivers of what's going on, uh, of things that are just not going on within the cup series, but lower and divisional series of these drivers that are coming up and want to be a part of cup series. Yeah. And, and, and that's a, that's an interesting point. Uh, you know, there, you can only have so much information in 240 characters on Twitter. And so uh, while the while the information is more immediate, uh, it's a lot more it's a lot less detailed, uh, in, in my opinion. And you can't uh, you can't tell somebody's story in 240 characters, no matter no matter how many tweets you send out. Uh, also, you know, a lot of the sound bots, uh, you know, you you can sometimes take those out of context. You know, and, and that's a little concerning to me. And you know, if it's if it's packaged by the team itself, you know, you don't have a chance to ask a follow up question. It's you know, if if a soundbite gets sent out by a race team or a press release gets sent out by a race team, you you don't have the chance for analysis. I don't think uh, the the way that we once did. So uh, again. You know, there's there. I, I believe that there's a lot more pressure today because you you don't have a chance to breathe in that media center uh, as much because you you have to be on top of your phone. Like I said earlier, you have to have the story and you have to have it now. And you know, maybe it's just a headline story, and that's all there is. You know, X driver gets fired and and that's it. But you know, we don't. Why did that driver get fired what were the what were the the reasons behind it what, you know who's going to replace that driver and and that kind of thing so i i, I don't know man uh, it's a different world out there my my uh last question to you and i'll just hand this over to to tim i appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight no problem. When, you, when you look back over the 30 years of three different publications that or that came out. Um, what do you think, what do you want the legacy to be? Ten or let's say twenty or thirty years down the road from now. Well, you know, I I, I think its legacy uh, today is, is the same that it's always been. Uh, we were the go-to news source. We were the most complete record of what was going on in the NASCAR garage from April of 1977 through uh, December of 2009. Uh, you know, it, it was by far the most detailed uh, account of what was going on in the sport. And and that's why I'm trying so hard to figure out a way to preserve all these newspapers uh, because the fact of the matter is uh, they're sitting on three bookshelves in my office and, you know, you obviously hate to 
think about such things happening, but all it would take would be one good spark, uh, and that history uh, would be lost, and it would be lost forever. And I've scanned uh, the first uh, five and a half years of newspapers. I've I've scanned several others, uh, uh, you know, you know, pretty historical significance uh, on past that. Uh, but you know, if, if these papers aren't preserved and something happens to them, that history is gone and it won't ever come back. You know, so uh, I, I don't know that it would ever be possible to assemble another complete run. I, I don't know of anybody that has. You know, I, I think that there are a few people. I think that there are one or two that have maybe close to a complete run, uh, but. You know, again, you know this this history uh, is it, and it has to be preserved for future generations. Rick, I appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight, and appreciate the history that you are trying to catalog there for future generations, and um, hopefully soon he'll be able to get this uh, put out there, um, and so all of us that may have, uh, like I said earlier, not been around at the beginning and really didn't see this until, you know, the early 90s, mid-90s or so, that, you know, we'll be able to look back on some of this reporting that you guys did. But I'm going to throw you over to Tim, and I appreciate you taking the time tonight. Hi, man. Thank you very much. Cam, you there? I don't know if Tim's there. I, I didn't uh, he, hear anybody. Oh, uh, that's okay. Well, I'm, I'm gonna here well, I am. Here I am. Oh, there he is. Here I am. I had I had <laughs> forgot to unmute. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, thanks, thanks, Eva. and Rick. Uh, I just want to let you know that uh, I text Russell, and he was gonna try to jump in here and talk to you a little bit, but he's in a meeting there at the track, and he told me to tell you. Hello, and thank you for everything that you do for the sport, Rick. Okay, man. And, and Rick, uh, I got a few questions. I had said that I wanted to really talk about the uh, the announcement deal, but I have got my Grand National scene commemorative issue, August 29th, 2019, <laughs> from Jordan yeah. Raceway. And I know yeah. Stephen has a couple, and I have a couple, and this is the first time that I've really opened it up. I didn't really want to open it. Because I wanted to preserve it like you were talking about everything else. And going on to page four here, you've got Carrie's Corner, and then you have the commentary over to the right there. And I want to read this out to our listeners, quote unquote, from uh, excuse me, Rick Rick Houston. The paper you are holding in your hands right now pays tribute to both Dogs and Raceways and the very best and most complete NAS complete newspaper covers NASCAR ever knew. And that goes back to talking a little bit about what Stephen said back in 1977, which I'm not going to lie. I was seven years old, Rick. And I remember seeing that paper, but I never did get it sent to my house. And like you said, and you and Stephen were talking about the Internet here. Uh, you got the Internet. You got Bob Bob Poggers, which Bob is a really good friend of mine. Now he's, he's writing for Fox Sports. But I think this is a good deal that you guys are doing. I mean, bring back the newspaper. I mean, I'm 
I'm like Stephen. I want to sit here and read it. I don't want to have to go into my laptop and go in here and find stuff, which is very simple to do, Rick. But, I mean, you know, you can open this newspaper up, and I mean, there's so much history here. And talking about uh, on page five, too tough to tame, Dalton celebrates its 50th anniversary. There's with uh, Johnny Mance and all that deal there. But talk a little bit about just how much it takes to put this paper together. And are you and Steve Wade planning on doing future publications of this? Because, I mean, I know I would love to subscribe to it. A lot of our listeners would love to. Well, it it is not the plan to bring it back on a full-time basis. Uh, I I can tell you that. Uh, That, uh, I I hate to say it, but I I really do believe that 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 ship has sailed. Uh, You know, it, 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 there's a lot of overhead uh, with a, with a, with a hard, with a hard copy newspaper. You know, you, you have to pay at one time. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, our our printing cost just for paper was I want to say it was like a hundred thousand dollars a week just to pay for the paper that the that the news was printed on. So, you know, obviously that's a lot of overhead. And that's not even counting the the salaries of the reporters and the people who lay it out and the photographers. You know, so that that's a big can of worms uh, that. You know, I, I don't think anybody's going to be willing to, to, you know, open up anymore. So, uh, but uh, as, as far as, you know, future commemorative issues, uh, I, I believe that uh, we will be able to work something. I hope that we will be able to work something out with Darling, Darlington to do another commemorative issue next year. And I also believe that there are other tracks out there that could benefit from a commemorative issue of Grand National Scene. Talk to your buddy Russell Brown there at Talladega. <laughs> because I, I think that certainly we have uh, a lot of news uh, in the can uh, of these historical newspapers from Talladega that, that fans would still like to see and they would still like to dig into. So, uh, you know that that's where I kind of that's where I kind of stand uh, on Grand National Scene coming back. Uh, I, you know, again, it's not the plan to bring it back week to week, uh, but maybe oh, I don't know, three, four, five times a year. Uh, I think that would be a huge plus for this sport. Definitely, Rick, and I will definitely say something to Russell. But I want to talk to you before again. This that's the deal there. Uh, I'm still on this Grand National scene paper. Uh, this, like I said, this is the first time that I've opened yeah. it since I brought it back yeah. to Darden because I wanted to keep it like it is. But uh, the uh, the picture on the front page there with David Pierce there at Darlington yeah. Raceway with that photo, with that Goodyear hat and all that stuff. Yeah. And read down here, it says inside, scene makes limited return, Darlington a brief history, Silver Fox turns super something. Y'all brought all this back. Dale chases Davis Darlington Mark. Harry Gant begins a hot streak. How did I mean? There's so much there, Rick. How did how did y'all go about getting with Kerry Tharp and Darlington and doing all this? I mean, this is a freaking awesome newspaper. Well, you know, it, it's actually kind of funny. I had forgot that uh, I had actually reached out to Kerry uh, on Twitter. And and I had actually said on Twitter, you know, I said I believe it would be a good idea to do a commemorative issue for your throwback weekend. Uh, 
And he responded back, you know, almost immediately. He said, I think that's a good idea, too. Let's set something up. To, let's, let, let's set up a time to talk. So I went down to Darlington uh, in January, uh, and it was very cold. I didn't know that it got cold in South Carolina because the only time I've ever visited, uh, certainly Darlington uh, was in, uh, you know, for the Labor Day weekend. And then I guess we used to race there in March, and, and it was already getting a little warm then too. So uh, it was very cold that day. Uh, and I expected to have this hard sell and, you know, trying to, you know, uh, kind of had kind of tried to have my ducks in a row to, to get this issue done. And I didn't have to do that. Kerry looked at me and he said, one of the first thing that he said basically was, you know, how are we going to be able to get this done? And I was like, okay, good deal. You're on board. And so we figured out a way to get it done, got permission from, the parent company and off we went and we produced what I feel is a pretty doggone good newspaper. Exactly, Rick. I mean, like I said, I hate to keep repeating myself, but like Stephen said, back in 77, he, he, he don't remember that, but I, but I do, <laughs> like I said, I've seen this newspaper, but Rick, again, I, uh, before we let you go, I want to dip off into a little bit of NASA stuff. If I can, okay. if that's Okay. You sure. and uh, Milt Heflin, y'all were co-authors of the Go Flight, the Unsung Heroes of Mission Control. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into the Apollo 18 deal there and all that? I'm sure I didn't know till I started searching and asking people like Russell about yourself. And uh, Russell said that you were big in the Apollo 18 deal there. And I think you actually filled in for... Uh, not a stunt double, but for a, uh, uh, I don't know what I'm looking for, Rick. But anyway, just let yeah. our listeners know about how, about how your national is. I, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an astronaut. But um, this old redneck yeah. country boy from Tallahassee, I don't think he could have passed the test. But talk a little bit about the Apollo 18 deal and all that stuff that, that, that you have done in, in the books that you have wrote. Well, first of all, I, I have always been fascinated by ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And, you know, certainly I think it's extraordinary that somebody can sit down in a race car and uh, drive it 200 miles an hour with 42 other maniacs on the racetrack with them. Uh, and by the same token, uh, I, you know, during the Apollo program, uh, there the, the Saturn V launch vehicle, uh, the Saturn V uh, rocket was 363 feet tall. So essentially it was a 363 foot tall bomb, you know, with all the propellant and everything on it. And there were three human beings that climbed to the top of that thing and, and strapped in and said, oh, and, and told somebody to light the fuse. And, and it doesn't get any more extraordinary than that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the people who worked in mission control, uh, without uh, them, uh, the the people would not have the astronauts would not have been able to fly uh, their their flights, their missions, and everything. And kind of what got the mission control book started, uh, I had a chance to to do a tour of Johnson Space Center in Houston with Milt Heflin, uh, and he he took me around to you know several of the different places, and the, and they were all pretty cool. 
you know, they, they took me, he took me to the neutral buoyancy laboratory uh, where the astronauts train uh, for their uh, spacewalks. Uh, and it's essentially a great big pool. Uh, but you know, they wouldn't let me go for a swim. So yeah, that, that was kind of cool. Uh, but then I went to the robotics laboratory and I got to shake hands with Robonaut, uh, and, and that kind of thing. And that was all right. Uh, but then Milt took me into the, uh, historic third floor mission control room, uh, that, that flew, uh, all of the flights, uh, from Gemini, uh, throughout Apollo and on into the early uh, space shuttle years. And I, I took maybe two or three steps into that room, and I was I was just overwhelmed by a sense of history. And, you know, when uh, Neil Armstrong called out Houston Tranquility Base here, the Eagle has landed, uh, he was talking to that room. Uh, when uh, the crew of Apollo 13 said, Houston, we've had a problem, uh, they were talking to that room and they were looking for help. And also the flip side of that coin, uh, the the last words that the crew of Challenger uh, ever spoke back to the earth uh, were spoken to that room. And so, you know, you, you think about the history that had t- been taken, that had taken place there and it was an overwhelming experience. And I knew they wanted to do something to get to know the people who work there and, you know, some of them have actually become pretty close friends. As a matter of fact, uh, a, a Chuck Dietrich and his wife, Betty, uh, Chuck was uh, working in mission control when Apollo 8 uh, first uh, uh, orbited the moon. And he was also on console when Apollo 11 landed on the moon. Uh, they were on their way through North Carolina uh, to visit their daughter and called and to see if I was busy, and they actually came by the house today. And so, you know, I, I have this, you know, just this super human engineer who who was able to to help people land on the moon. And you know, just a couple of hours ago, they was they were sitting in my living room. You know, so it, it's been a really neat experience to get to know some of them. Rick, that's awesome. I I'm going to send you a. Uh, in your email, I'm going to send you my cell phone because I would like to just really, just you and I talk about this NASA deal. And I know your your uh, your time is limited here, but I want to thank you again for for coming on. But uh, Rick, uh, before we let you jump out of here, uh, who's your pick to win the 2019 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Championship? I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, oh man, Steve, Steve and I. Steve and I are having a little bit of a contest on our podcast, uh, and we're, we're kind of taking it week by week. Uh, but as far as a as far as a champion goes, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm I'm kind of thinking Joy Logano uh, has has a shot. I, I think he's got a chance to to repeat. Uh, but I, I really like the Homestead format. Uh, where you know they don't know, uh, they have to they have to be the top finisher out of that race. I like that because you really can't you really can't you really don't know until you get the homestead and the checkered flag falls. So I think that's really interesting. So you know you could you could basically pull a name out of a hat when it comes to that kind of thing. So you know who knows who the champion's going to be. 
Uh, I, I think it, you know, it could be any number of drivers. Exactly. And Suzanne and I and Stephen Woodson, we will be in Hofstede. Will you be there, brother? I will not, no. No. Okay. Uh, well, I, I don't uh, I don't travel as much anymore, so uh, you know, I I'll be I'll be watching from home. Okay. If you can before we let you jump out of here, uh I'm gonna make my pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Kevin Harvick and if I can I wanna throw it up to Stephen Wilson and let him make his pick and I'll bring my wife, uh Suzanne and Rick, if that's okay with you, and let her make her pick. Steven? Okay. Um, oh, I don't know. I, I do like your pick, Tim, of Kevin Harvick. But, um, hmm, I don't know. Truex might have something for him. I think they right at this time, there's probably three, four others that, you know, call us. Joe Logano, um, I, th- I think right now it's too early to pick, but I- I'm g- I'm going to stay out of this conversation because I think right at this time there's just too many. Laugh, laugh out loud. Suzanne, you want to throw your pick in there with us, sister? Okay, Joe Logano. Well, Joe Logano was look- looks like everybody's going with the Ford, so, uh, but. Again, Rick, I want to thank you very much for taking time to call in tonight and uh, let everybody know if they can follow you at on social media. And this print, uh, can anybody get this Grand National Scene paper other than what we got at the media center in Darlington and what y'all had out there? And just let everybody know, let everybody know if they can follow you on social media, Rick. Well, our Twitter feed is at the Scene Vault. And we have our podcast, the Scene Vault podcast. And actually, you know, we do have uh, some of the Grand National Scenes still available. Uh, You can, uh, people can get them by supporting us uh, on the podcast uh, through Patreon, patreon.com slash the Scene Vault podcast. If you can do at least $5 a month, uh, you would get a copy of the Grand National Scene. You would also get at least one um, classic issue of Winston Cup scene, uh, like one of the original issues of Winston Cup scene. So I actually have a stash of, of duplicates. Uh, I actually have plenty of duplicates you know, that, I've, that I've collected. So uh, do $5 a month at patreon.com slash the scene vault podcast, and you would get one of the Grand National scenes and at least one uh, Winston Cup scene. So, uh, yeah, they are still available. Rick, I want to thank you very much. I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to pass your information on to Russell Branham. I know myself here at Talladega, you know, which Stephen is up there in Richmond. I know myself, we would love to see that paper here. I will pass the information on to Russell and I will tell him to contact you, brother. All right, man. I appreciate that. Rick, thanks again. Is is anybody you want to let you uh, anybody you want to let know that has got you to where you're at? We're gonna give you the final floor before we let you jump out of here. No, I'm good, man. I I truly do appreciate you having us on uh, and getting the chance to talk about the scene ball and what we're trying to do. 
hopefully we will be able to preserve these new newspapers one day and make them available. So that's what I'm shooting for, at least. Thanks, Rick. And we look forward to having you back on the show in the near future. And again, that's uh, Rick Houston there from the, well, uh, the Cups, uh, the Grand National scene. I had to open my paper back up. Rick, thanks again, <laughs> brother. We'll talk to you on the flip side, man. Thank you very much. Hi, right, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Rick Houston there, Stephen. Uh, I mean, gosh, we could have talked to him forever, you know. And I hated to put you on the spot because I know 1977, which I was seven years old, I don't even think you were born yet. Uh, I don't want to put you on this spot. But anyway, Stephen, let's take a little quick break. We're going to come back and talk about this weekend's race there at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. we got a lot to talk about. We're going to try to jam, jam pack it in, but... Uh, I'm Tim Despain, alongside of SpeedwayDigestRadio.com's Mr. Stephen Wilson. We will talk to you, and right after this, God's Country from Blake Shipton.
from Talladega. I'm Tim Spain, alongside SpeedwayDigest.com, Mr. Stephen Wilson. Stephen, that was a great interview there with Rick, wasn't it? I mean, that was some awesome stuff. We could have kept him on all night long. I love talking old school stuff, especially the Grand National scene. That paper they brought back there at Dalton, that was awesome, bro. Yeah, you know, it's always good to go back to the beginnings of the sport, the people that covered the sport during its growth years, and then kind of make a comparison as to where we are today. And, Stephen, I got some breaking news again. Let me find my breaking news button. I know you don't know about this, but uh, let me play the breaking news button. got some breaking news. I have an audio from uh, Garrett Smith discussing uh, Stephen and our listeners know that uh, Kyle Bush just rammed his ass. I mean, just run all up on him and complained and bitched and grouched about that. But uh, I've got a statement here from Garrett Smith that he wanted me to send to uh, Kyle Bush. So if you can, it's about a, it's about a three-minute audio. So this is from Garrett Smith to Kyle Bush. I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were going great till they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, You can't go hating others. Who have done wrong to you Sometimes we get angry But we must not condemn Let the good Lord do his job You just pray for them I pray your brakes go out Running down a hill I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill And knocks you in the head Like I'd like to your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. I'm really glad I found my way to church. Cause I'm already feeling better and I think Your birthday comes and nobody calls I pray 
message from Garrett Smith is that it's a Kyle Bush. See, one just to make a little funny out about that. But uh, I know, I mean, you know, these lap cars, they're there to actually run also. And Kyle Bush had an option of going down, going to the bottom side. But instead, he made the option to ram the hell out of the damn Garrett Smith lineman. What's going on with that, brother? Um, you know, I, I think he was just a little irritated that not only him, but Joey Gase was also in the way. Um, he felt that they should have been out of the way. But, you know, again, it's racing. And <clears throat> if they're out there racing and doing all they can do, um, you know, it, it's it's up to Kyle Bush's spotter. It's up to Kyle Bush himself. It's up to you know, those people also to be aware of their surroundings and um, sometimes the race car drivers just aren't going to get out of your way because you're you're coming up on them. I think Ryan Newman is a prime example of this, that doesn't matter whether he's racing for third or, or 30th, he's, he's rolling roadblock and he makes a point of you have to race him hard and I think if the the situation was was reversed and you know Brian Newman was in the way, we may not have heard about this as much as we're hearing about it with 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 Smithley and Gase. Exactly. And Stephen, let's go ahead and uh, let's play the media center audio there at Las Vegas Motor Speedway where Austin Hill won the truck race there, and let's see what they had to talk about the media center there at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. All right, we are win- with the winner of tonight's 23rd annual World of Westgate 200, the driver of the number 16 Gunma Toyopet Toyota, and that is Austin Hill. Austin, this is your third victory, uh, obviously the first in the playoffs, uh, advancing to the round of six. Um, talking about maybe the season, but how important this win is as a jump start to uh, the championship run, a second consecutive championship run for the 16 truck. Yeah, um, you know, right when I went across the start-finish line, I was screaming and yelling, and I was yelling, you know, we're going to the round of six, boys, we're going to the round of six. So uh, it was so special. Um, you know, Daytona was such a special win for me. Michigan was an awesome win. But to do what we did tonight, uh, you know, we, we had some miscommunication uh, to come down pit road or not, and we stayed out. And the next thing you know, everyone pit. So the next time around, we pitted and had to restart, I don't know, where 20th or whatever it was. And uh, to be able to come from where we were uh, and drive all the way through the field under green flag condition and take the lead and drive away from them like we did, it just shows, um, you know, it's a, a huge statement win. It shows, you know, what these guys have put into this truck and the effort they put into it. Um, it's only been on the racetrack twice, Michigan and Vegas, and it's two for two. So uh, I think that's pretty good for that new truck that they just built. All right. If we got questions for Austin, raise your hand. We'll get you a mic. We'll start right here. Justin Schuler, Speedway Media. Uh, first off, congratulations on the win and going to the round of six. But that obviously came with the concern of lots of other motors and engines going out throughout the race. Was that a concern for you? Obviously, the first one just being one, but then they started dropping like flies after that. I was actually really concerned because we had our own issue. Um, right at the end of the second stage, we started the motor started cutting in and out on us. And, um, you know, we didn't really know exactly what it was. It kind of went away. Uh, we went back green, and it was fine. And then uh, we had another restart. 
and on that restart, we restarted sixth, and um, it didn't get going uh, through the gears. It was spitting and sputtering, and I don't know if we had a fuel pressure issue or, or what we had going on, but it was cutting in and out, and I lost a lot of positioning. Once I got to fourth and got, you know, got up to fourth gear, it, it would cut out, and you know, it was fine. Um, and then when we restarted uh, in the back in 20th or whatever it was, uh, it did it again, and we lost a lot of time there trying to get up through the gears. But, uh, man, that whole green flag run, I was just hoping and praying that it, it didn't cut out again, um, and luckily it didn't. But, um, man, my heart was pounding. You know, when, when I got to the lead and I, you know, I got to the 45, got past him, that was really my number one concern is I didn't want to have a restart because I thought that it was going to cut in and out again, and if it would have done that, our race would have been over. So uh, it just played out perfectly in our favor. We We didn't need a caution and we didn't get one so it uh, worked out perfectly Stephen talked about Austin Hill there uh, he punched his ticket to the next round there uh, that bunch of Atari racing enterprises they've, they've really got something going on there you know last year we had uh, Thad Moffitt I think it was Thad Moffitt uh, but I mean Stephen, this HRE bunch they've got their shit together in it bro yeah, they they've got their stuff together last year. They work on a smaller budget and with a smaller team than anybody else, you know, almost in the garage and uh they're consistently going out there and winning like they did. They won the first race this year, they won the championship last year, won this round and uh locking themselves into the next round in in the truck series championship. So yeah, I mean they've they've worked incredibly hard to get to where they are. And, Stephen, let's go ahead and go on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series deal there with uh, Tyler Reddick and Jason Burdett there with Richard Childress Motorsports. They won the uh, the Xfinity Series race there at uh, Las Vegas. Let's see what they had said in the meeting center at Las Vegas Motorsports. All right, we'll kick All off right, we'll our kick post-race, off post-race media availability, media availability. Ooh, got some echo. Uh, for tonight's second annual Rhino Pro Truck Outfitters 300, and we are with the owner and crew chief of the number two Tame the Beast Chevrolet, uh, and that is owner Richard Childress and crew chief Randall Burnett. Um, I think the uh, obvious question to kick off, we'll we'll start with you, Randall. Um, How the heck did you stretch that fuel that long? Well, uh, you know, we we felt like we weren't going to be able to get up there and compete with the the 20. It was obviously the class of field all night long, and uh, we had really good practice yesterday, and, and I thought we were going to be a little bit better than that in the race, and I made a couple adjustments going into the race and uh, didn't didn't quite take to the car. So, uh, you know, we saw an opportunity there. We knew we were going to be really, really close. We were close to our, to our get-home lap, and we figured that was going to be our shot. If we were if we were going to do it, none of the other guys came down, and we had already, you know, we would kind of clinched with our, with our um, you know, stage points. So we really didn't really have anything to lose at that point. So we were like, let's just risk it, see what we can do. You know, uh, we didn't really have anything to lose at that point. So uh, we got back out there, and, and Tyler, I was telling Tyler, hey, man, he wanted to drive up through there on new tires, obviously, as tempting as it is. But uh, he did a great job just managing, holding pace. Um, and then I saw them guys coming down and taking four, and, and from then on we just kind of gauged gauged our pace based off, uh, you know, how fast the 20 was catching us there at the end. And um, so we had to pick it back up. Obviously, he was coming really, really fast. And uh, so we had to pick it back up at the end, and he was able to save his tires enough to have some speed left in the car to be able to do that. So uh, it just worked out, man. It, it just one of those things that it, it just all came together. And, uh, 
very fortunate that it that it worked out for us. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. And, and Richard won the regular season finale, uh, regular season championship. How does this? Uh, maybe talk a little bit about how this momentum uh, suits you guys going into the playoffs. Well, you know, it's great. Anytime you win, it doesn't matter how. It's great to win. And remember, we are in Vegas, and you're supposed to gamble. So he gambled, and we won. You know, we rolled a seven. I guess you roll a seven to win, don't you? Yeah. I don't know. So, I'm not much uh, of a craps player, but. Yeah, and we hit blackjack, I guess. But it was it was a good night. You know, I asked him how many laps he was short, and he said one and a half. But the way Tyler, they, they communicated so good with the spotter, Tyler, and Randall on what to do to save fuel to get us to the end. And what was impressive was he ran like a 32.08 with 10 laps to go or 12 when he told him to go. So the car wasn't that bad. You made some good adjustments. Yeah, it got a little better at the end of the night, I think. All right. Well, uh, if you have a question, please raise your hand. We'll get your mic. We'll start here with Mark. Mark Nero, PRN. Uh, this question for both uh, Randall and uh, Richard. What does it feel like to, to win a race like this, to sort of steal a race away from somebody you thought, you know, we've got the fastest car. We've proven that all race. And, and uh, you know, when you listen to Christopher Bell after that race, I mean, couldn't be more dejected. Uh, so how does it feel to kind of steal one, if you will? Yeah, well, I don't always call them stealing them. Uh, I wouldn't use that term because we've lost them the same way on the last lap. Right here last year, we were racing for the lead and lost it on the last lap. So it's who comes across and can come across as a winner. We've lost them the same way uh, throughout my career as uh, owner, and that's uh, that's well. The, the question is, I mean, do you enjoy winning when you don't necessarily have everything going your way and you still find a way to win? Yeah, that's better. You know, uh, it's again, again, you know, we've won a lot of races that way, and we've lost a lot to other people that way. So it's uh, it's that's how you win races. It won't say in the record book 20 years from now how you want it. It just says Tyler Reddick, winner, Rhino 300. What? Yes, sir. And speaking of which, he is here, the winning driver from today's race, and that is Tyler Reddick. Tyler, congratulations on the win. Congratulations on the regular season championship. Um, we'll start off with the obvious question of uh, how'd you, how'd you, how'd you, how were you able to stretch that fuel mileage as well as you did to win tonight's race? Oh, you know, just our guys, uh, Randall did a great job letting me know early on what we needed to do, and we are able to run the shortest distance around the racetrack and, and save some fuel. And, you know, it, it's it's really cool to win a few ra It's really cool to win races this way because, uh, you know, I, I feel like we've, we've, we've given a few races up that should have been ours. So you always look back and think that way, but it's kind of nice to, to kind of sneak in and, and take advantage of a certain situation um, and make the smarter, smarter choice. And, you know, we didn't have anything to lose where we were, so we were able to come down and, just mixed it up, and it played into our hand. Uh, we would have had a caution with 10 to go. It probably would have been interesting, but um, it worked in our favor. So I'll take it. We'll all take it. And it was a good way to, to cap the, the night of crapshooting the regular season championship and, and get five more playoff points. Awesome. Thank you, Tyler.